Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. Mark chapter 8. And when you found your place, if you are physically able, if you could join me in standing in honor of God's Word as we read... Excuse me. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to read uh, the first nine verses. The Bible says, In those days, the multitude being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days, and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. So this evening, I'd like to just, as we conclude the missions conference, just consider this tonight. that We need to have the right perspective for our participation in missions. We need to have the right perspective. So the question I'd like to uh, just try to just to pose tonight, hope that we can consider is this. What drives your participation in ministry, in missions, in the Christian life? What's the, what's the fuel What's the fuel? Because um, I'm not a mechanic by any means. I know the difference between a car. I know I know the difference. Okay, I know the difference between a tire and an alternator. I know that. That's about it. But I do know this: you put diesel in a gas engine, it's not going to work very well. You got to have the right fuel. What's your fuel? Lord, we thank you again so much for your your goodness to us, and just just the fact that we are assembling together is all because of you, because of your love, of the common salvation that we have received through faith in Christ, through the opportunity that you give us to labor together in the work of the gospel. It's, everything is about you. Thank you so much for the week already, and I pray you'd help us tonight as we consider your word. Lord, we want we to hear from you tonight, and I know we would all not just want to be stirred, but be changed that we, that our thinking and that our living would truly be in line with your mind and your purposes and your will. Pray bless our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. You know, our world today is, is quite immense. I know we've, we don't need to uh, probably don't spend too much time on this because this is the end of the missions conference. We've already kind of considered the the world this week and just the need that there is. But really, 
uh, even as a preacher was mentioning, I believe it was this morning, just the immensity of the population of our, of our world is astounding. It's, it's incomprehensible. And to, and to consider that every one of those numbers, every one of those numbers that we see, whether we're talking about 8 billion people or we're talking about a, hundred, a couple hundred thousand people or we're talking about your neighbor, every one of them is an eternal soul. Uh, one day be in heaven or in hell. And the only way they have even the chance of going to heaven is if they have access to the gospel because by the gospel is the only way that they can go uh, go to heaven and be right with God. The Lord gave us the responsibility and the privilege to be the conduit by which the world hears the gospel. When I say us, I don't mean us as in the missionaries. I mean us as in believers. I mean this, this church. It's our responsibility. Why? I don't understand. In my mind, and again, this is, this is kind of repeating what we even heard this morning a little bit, but in my mind, I could think of, you think, more effective means by which the world can get the gospel, but God in his wisdom, so in his perfect wisdom, so chose to glorify himself and further the gospel through people like you and me. That same God that knows you. He knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows, okay, he knows my, he knows your carnality, our tendency to sin and to please ourselves. He knows that. He's very well aware of that. He's aware of our limitations. He's aware of how much money we do or maybe do not have. He's aware of the climate that we're in that is not necessarily open to us going to them with the gospel. He knows that, yet he still chose to work his plan through us. It's not because it's he had no other option. It's because that is his perfect plan. You know, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is a very gospel-centered book. It's a very gospel-centered book. In fact, Mark begins, the, in Mark chapter 1, begins with this statement, Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, this, it's, it's all about the gospel, the good news, that there is salvation through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the Son of God. That's the only way salvation could be made through him. That's why salvation through, through our works or you know, through anything that we can do is not sufficient because I'm not the son of God. He is the son of God, therefore he is sufficient to save. That's what the Gospel of Mark is about. But Mark is also a very all-nations-focused book. If you're familiar with, familiar with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you realize that they all, they all, they all reflect a, are, are giving a a, a, a perspective on the life and ministry of Christ, but also from a diff, each from their own, their own unique perspective. Matthew is, is written primarily with a Jewish audience in mind and presenting Jesus as the king, the son of David, the, the Messiah. But Mark, again, as he opens his gospel, he presents Jesus Christ right from the beginning as not the, the king of Israel, not the Jewish Messiah, but as the son of God. Because he is not just a savior of Israel, he's a savior of the whole world. And he goes through the gospel of Mark and we see his works and his words and of course his death, burial, resurrection. At the end, what do we find? One of the most, one of the, one of the most famous, probably well-known Missions verses in Mark 16, 15, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Very all nations focused book. 
But that is not the, the perspective that most of the people of Jesus' day had. They viewed, they viewed the Christ, the, the, promised, the promised Messiah, as being exclusively for Israel. That was their perspective. That was their, that not, because, not because they got that from the Scriptures, because the Scripture has always been revealed. The Old Testament is very clear that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of the whole world, and he would have all the people to praise him, all the people to know him, all the people to be saved. But the Jewish mindset of that day was very much, when he comes, Here's why he's going to come. He's going, the Messiah, the Christ, will come to deliver us from the oppression of those filthy Gentiles. That was their perspective. That's what they were, that's what their mindset was. And as we see, as, as we see in Jesus' ministry, and you see that he, well, he didn't follow the cultural norms. He was submissive to the will of his father, not to the will whims of the culture. And so he would come and he would minister to people that, that the Jewish religious elites thought as, saw as unfit. He would come and minister to the, the publicans, the sinners, those people. Do you know any of those people? We all have those people, don't we? We know those people. And we, sometimes we, can, we look at the Bible and say, oh, those, those terrible, bigoted Pharisees. And you look in the mirror, realize we all have those kind of people in our mind. But Jesus never had those people, a those people mentality. He's always been an all people mentality. And so here he comes and he's ministering these people. But then beyond that, Jesus not only ministers and cares for Jewish sinners, but also Gentile sinners. Whereas you have him going and ministering and healing among the Jews, but then he goes in chapter 6 and chapter 7 outside the boundaries of Israel and goes up to a place called Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you know your, 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 your uh, geography, Tyre and Sidon is not Israel. It's not Israel. In fact, it's, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the home country of a very infamous person in the Bible. Ever, ever heard of Ahab and Jezebel? Jezebel is from there. That's her, that, 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 that's her home country. Jesus went there. Why? Because there's people there. He loved them. He came for all people. And now as, our, and he, as he comes back in chapter 7, back from there, and he's coming back into the area of Israel, but he doesn't come directly into Israel. Up in chapter 7, verse 30, um, in verse uh, 31, says that he came back through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Now, this is important because of where we're going to be in chapter 8, because he's not coming back into the area of, of Galilee and the area of on the west side of Galilee or on the, in the area of Judea. He's in Decapolis, which is on the east side. Let's see which, which way he's like. On the east side, I always, get back, I always get mixed up when I'm doing this. On the east side of the sea of, the, of Galilee of the Jordan River. What's significant about that? The capitalist was exclusively a Gentile area, non-Jewish. He's coming and he's going. Not only does he, not only is he, not only is Jesus ministering to those, those kind of people who happen to find their way through the crowd to get to him, 
he actually goes to where they are because he loves them. Now, there's a ton of application we can do there, but I need to move on. Because, but I will say this. We can't wait for them to come to us so that we can give them the gospel. Now, Friends of Family Day, that's, it's, it's a wonderful thing, and, and you know, we're, pray, we're praying for that. But what, what has your pastor been exhorting, exhorting this church to do? Not to just, okay, put a banner out there somewhere, but to go to where they are, to consider people, to realize they're not going to just automatically come here. you got to go to them. And it may not be comfortable, it may be awkward. You may get your proverbial hands dirty. It may happen, it probably will. But he loves them, therefore so should we. So he goes and he's ministering to them, and that's where our text opens up. In those days, the multitude being very great. Here's the, here's the, the, the point of all this leading up to now is this. This multitude is made up of those people. It's a those people multitude. Remember, they're in Decapolis. They're not, they're not in Galilee. They're not in Judea. They're not outside Jerusalem or outside Capernaum. They're in Decapolis, filled with Gentiles. This multitude, with thus the implications as multitude, is a very Gentile multitude. A group of people that in the religious elite, the Jewish religious elite's perspective, and also even possibly even the disciples' perspective because they were influenced by their culture, a group of people that were seen as being unfit for the things of God. And yet Jesus is ministering to them. Paul says that in those days, the multitude being very great, this obviously later is going to describe as being a a multitude of 4,000 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Wouldn't you love 4,000 people in this room? Well, how could you? Could, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> put, put some loudspeakers out there and fill up the parking lot. There you go. No, 4,000 people. I mean, that's, that's a lot. That, that's, 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 a, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And Mao says that the Malta is very great, but then describes something else about them. It says they had nothing to eat. So you have 4,000 people, a huge multitude, that are now a huge hungry multitude. That's a bad combination. Riots are started because a large group of people are hungry. It's, it's, a, it's a big problem here. Now, it's, Jesus is not concerned about because the potential problem to him it would be. He's concerned about these people. So he sees this multitude and, and, and realizes... This has not caught him by surprise. This is, not a, this is not a situation where Jesus has been, you know, preaching and wasn't watching the time. And he's like, well, you know, hmm, start preaching. And I mean, just the minutes and the hours and the days just went by. And man, I just slipped my mind that these people need to eat. That's not Jesus. And, and also Jesus not, didn't catch him by surprise, but also it's not like, like Jesus didn't have a solution. So what we're going to see here is really, it's not really, the, the, so we're going to talk a lot about the disciples, but it's really not as much about them as it is about Jesus. Jesus is not going to the disciples and say, okay, guys, 
I need, I need some ideas here. Let's brainstorm here. You know, what can we do? That, that's not what's going on here. He's very purposeful in what he's doing. So he calls, he sees the, mul- the multitudes there. It's very great. They have nothing to eat. That's the situation. So here's what, here's what Jesus, Jesus does. He has a platform huddle. Platform huddle. That, that's what he's doing here. No, I'm not saying. Uh, preacher used his imagination this morning, so I'm going to use my imagination tonight. Okay, is that okay? Okay. I know they didn't have a platform like we have now, but okay, but still these 4,000 people, he's been teaching, he's been ministering. They're out there. They're sitting. They're probably pretty close. Jesus is, makes note of their need, of their, of their hunger, of the fact they have nothing to eat. Here's what he does. He calls his disciples unto him. He calls them unto him. He says, okay, now, get this in your mind. The, the multitude's still there. They're still there. And he calls his disciples up, and while they're there watching this whole thing, it's like, it's like Jesus preaching away and teaching away, and all of a sudden he stops himself, I don't know, mid-sentence, mid-paragraph, mid-thought, I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden he calls his disciples unto him. So all the 12, they come up, they come up to where Jesus is, now they're up here having a little conference in front of the multitude, and, and he says to them, says, guys, I, I want you to understand, the, oh, I, get, I, can't, I can't miss this. This is, this, is, this, is, this is important here. He calls them his disciples. The Bible calls them his disciples. It's not just a word. Sometimes we throw that word around, you know, Sunday school, the other 12 disciples, 12 this. There's a reason that word is used. It's not just the men or, his, or, his, or these people. They are the disciples. Well, what's a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who learns, who listens to and learns from another, in this case from Jesus, learns from him so that they can, they, they can learn how to, and so they can become like him and then participate in what he's doing. That's what, that's what the disciples were doing. That's, that was why he called them way back in Mark chapter 1 or Matthew chapter 4. That's why he called them to be his disciples. He said, I want you to come and follow me, learn of me so that you can become like me, so I can equip you and make you to become like me so that I can send you out to participate in my work. So a disciple, in in these interactions, every time you see an action with Jesus and disciples, what Jesus is doing is working in them and developing in them character and developing in them the perspectives and the attitudes and what they would need to be able to continue his work in his absence as though he was still physically present with them. That's the disciple. So he calls the disciples apart. He says, okay, I, I have something. I, this is, this is the, I have a lesson for you. It's, it, it's class time. Here's what he says to him. I have compassion on the multitude. Because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. Okay, guys, I, I want you to listen. Pay good attention. You're my disciples, so I'm going to, I want to impart to you a perspective that you need to have which is my perspective of this multitude. Here it is. I have compassion on them. 
Now, here's the part where I'm very thankful. Brother Wilson basically preached this part of my message this morning, so I don't think I need to spend a lot of time to explain to you what compassion looks like. Outside to say this, compassion, as like I said this morning, it's not just feeling sorry for somebody. It goes beyond that to taking action. It's, it's, yes, you have that emotion of pity, but it's mixed with love that produces action to try to meet the need. He says, I have compassion on them. He didn't view this multitude, again, remember, of those people? He didn't view them as a burden or as inconvenience. They weren't in his way where he is trying to accomplish something, and they're just in his way trying to remove the problem. How many times do we view people, can we, can we view people that way? You know, it's even possible, I'm thankful, I'm thankful I can say this, I, I believe I can say this full, with full confidence here, this, this assembly, because I've seen, I've seen you all interact with people, interact with others, and, and just you're welcoming, and, it's, and that, that's great, you're demonstrating the love of Christ to each other and to others that come in, but wouldn't it be sometimes easy and a temptation if you have, say, next week someone come in, and maybe they are very evidently not church, a church person, maybe they're very evidently of a lifestyle or religious belief that is completely opposite to the teachings of this book, and they come in and sit down, and it's very temptation would be to just kind of, you know, act like they're not there, and hope maybe they don't come back next week. I'm not saying that's what you do, but that's a temptation. I, I say that because I've experienced that thought at times. Not here, not this week. <laughs> not this week. <laughs> I've experienced that. That's completely, that's completely anti-who Christ is. He compassion on them. And why? And he, he gives me three reasons here. He says, they've been with me three days. What's the significance about that? Well, again, the Bible is very purposeful on this. Why three days? Well, while the Bible doesn't give us exactly, specifically description of this, I could just say this. The only reason he's been there for they've been with him three days is because he wanted them to be with him for three days. He didn't, he could have just passed through. He could have just walked on by, and as people came and they happened to, you know, interact with him while he was walking by, great, but he chose to stay there. Why? Because he wanted to. He loved them. He cared for them. He's been with them three days. They have nothing to eat. They, they don't have food. It's not just that they, they're a little hungry. They, they literally are without food. That's a problem. Not just, not just a comfort level problem. I don't believe that's why the Bible is describing a comfort level of hunger, but a physical need for food. All of us could have experienced that, that, that feeling of hunger, you know, an hour and a half after we last ate. Or if you're under the age of 18, 15 minutes after you last ate, right? They have no food, as in they're, they're, they're at a point of physical exhaustion. That's what he says, because if they go away, if I send them home, they're going to faint by the way. They don't have enough strength to get to where they need to be. He understood the physical, the physical issue here. They understood the physical thing that here they have. I care about them. I love them. I've been here three days. I've demonstrated that I love them. I care for them. But they don't have something that they desperately need that they can't provide for themselves. And if they continue on the way they are, 
they won't get to where they need to go. Now, that's the physical, okay, I want to be very clear. That's the physical thing he's dealing with here. I'm not wanting to try to spiritualize something, but I believe there is a greater application here because he's teaching his disciples not just how to minister to someone, you know, how to minister to people that are in a state of physical need, but in a state of spiritual need. Because people by nature, well, all people God loves. God loves all people. People are in a current spiritual condition that is of great need that they can't do anything about for themselves and if they continue on the way they currently are namely without christ they will not get to where they need to be namely in our right relationship with god so have compassion on them and that's where he stops you notice he doesn't follow it up in this text by okay now here's what i want you to do about it he just makes the statement and lets it sink in. And it seems like the disciples get it. Seems like they get it. They understand Jesus's, say this way, his heart, his mind. They have an understanding of his will. His will is that these people's need be met because he loves them. Because he say in the next verse, disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Because they understood, Jesus, we understand, we get that you want to satisfy them. Now satisfy, not just to give them a little token, not just to get to, to give them a little taste, but to fill their need. We understand Jesus what you want we get it they they don't necessarily say it here but i think we could maybe take some take some liberty to say that they were on board with it remember they're his disciples that means they have a desire to become like jesus thus they're going to be listening with all their faults and failures they're going to want to become more like him that's why they're still following him say okay jesus we get it maybe we didn't see it. We didn't see your love. We didn't see, but okay, we understand. We're on board with it. We understand you want to meet this need. But how? But how? You know, we can look, we can understand by, if you, you, can't, you can't read this book and not have an understanding of God's heart for this world. If if you see if there there are there are some so-called Christians there are some so-called churches and so-called even Baptists unfortunately that you can you listen to them you listen to their their how how they talk about the world for whom Jesus died it's like they didn't get that from that book there's no yeah other I understand there's a there's we have to take a stand against against evil and against ungodliness yes we need we need to make a stand what why. So that people understand right from wrong, so that they're pointed to Jesus. We get it, Jesus. We we understand your compassion, and we understand from your word that that you love this world and you want all the world to be saved. You want every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their religious affinity, regardless of their political identification. Or you want them to be saved and be right with you. 
but how? I mean, we're struggling just for friends and family day. Five people. Five people seems overwhelming. And Jesus, we know that you want not just five, but five million, five billion, yay more. How? What can we do? How can we meet that need? Said, from whence? Can a man satisfy these men here in the world with bread here in the wilderness? Said Jesus, we're in a wilderness. I know, so I know something about being a wilderness. We live in one there in South Africa. There's nothing there. You get, you get, we have a river. And that's great. It's very pro- productive and fruitful. Half mile east side of the river. Get past that. You, you just want to find water. That's it. Jesus, there's nothing here. We just you un- we understand your heart, but Jesus, do you we and but we also are looking at where we are at, and where we are at is not going to and who we are and where we are at is not going to fit the bill. And again, we can look around. You know, it's like in this um, uh, our world today and. And we can and we and look at the the the, the seems like the the shifts in culture the shifts in and just it seems like wickedness has just exploded, you know and and but in reality, the sinful heart of man hasn't changed. It's not like it's harder now than it was before. Well, maybe maybe, maybe there's some things sure there's some things that maybe more more difficult now or more or less convenient now there may be more there's not as much of the politeness anymore of that there maybe once was but the sinful heart of man has always rejected and resisted submission to god's word even though our even though tragically well tragically ironically that's what is their greatest hope and their only hope we look around and said oh we're in a wilderness Right in Eastern Mass. Yeah, I say, well, if only we were out in Oklahoma. You know, is Oklahoma full of sinful, wicked people that are hardened to the gospel. So is South Africa. Well, if we were just down in Mexico, we're just down in these places where it seems like people are getting saved right and left. Guys, the sinful heart of man is still the same. But the good news is the gospel is still the same. Amen. The power is still the same. They said, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And here's the thing. They're expressing, Lord, how is this going to happen? How is it possible? And But they hit also at the same time, without realizing it, they hit the nail on the head. Let's watch. I just want to follow, follow along here again. Verse 4. The disciples answered him, from whence can a, what's that next word? Man. Well, whence can a man satisfy these men? Here's the answer. From nowhere. From nowhere. No man could. But, 
what is the Gospel of Mark all about again? It's revealing Jesus Christ not as a man, but as the Son of God. No man could satisfy them, but the Son of God could. That's the point. That's the point he's making to them. He says, yes, I understand it's impossible, but you need to get your eyes off of the impossibility of and onto me. So he says, how many loaves? He asks them, how many loaves have ye? How, so how, how much do you have? How much bread do you have? And Jesus, we got seven loaves. And later he's going to say, we got, we got, there's a few, a few fishes, small fishes. They say, Jesus, we have seven loaves here. What's the point of seven loaves? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, well, the first loaf means, no, there's seven pieces of bread. That's what it means. No, seven loaves. Man, it's a good thing you had seven loaves. We just had five loaves or two loaves. Wouldn't be able to do too much with that. But seven loaves, that, 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 that's really a big deal. I can't tell I'm being a little bit sarcastic. The point was not, okay, guys, pool everything you got. Whatever you got, put it together, and I'll make it work. That's not the point. The point was this. What you have isn't enough. What you have isn't enough. How many loaves have you? What's going to satisfy these, these men here in the builders? Well, a man can't. So Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? How much can a man provide? <laughs> I got seven loaves. Pardon my Oklahoma, they ain't going to go very far. All we got is, I'm looking around, 15, 20 people. We got is a little piece of paper. All we got is an old Bible. That's all we got. Excluding that, but for everything else, that's right. It's not enough. It's not. Jesus says, how many do you have seven loaves? Because it wasn't about them looking at and them trying to figure out how is this going to work. It was this. He was trying to get them to the point that they would just simply trust him. That he himself is sufficient. He's sufficient. It wasn't about the loaves. It wasn't about anything else it was the fact that he's the son of god therefore he's sufficient for anything and then he goes further and he says okay he commands the crowd to to sit down he commands the crowd there to to, to sit down on the ground in verse six and and then he but he took the seven loaves gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them and they did set them before the people. So he's kind of gone through this progression here where he's, he's working. I he said, okay, I want you to understand my compassion for them. I want you to understand my will regarding them. And then he says, okay, now you understand what I want to do here and what, what the need I see that you realize that it's, it's, it's I'm the one sufficient for this. It's not about what you have. It's about me. And then he proceeds to go in this. He says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to take these loaves and I want you to give them to the multitude. Do you just remember you just got seven? That's it. Seven dinner rolls. I don't know how big they were, but they weren't big. They weren't big. Carefield, seven loaves of bread. It's not going to go very far among 4,000 people. So he gives thanks. It's a, a point here also I want to make, make, make mention here. I kind of went past it. Is this, from where did they get those seven loaves in the first place? I believe Jesus is pointing this out here. He gives thanks. Who's he giving thanks to? The disciples for being generous in giving? He's giving thanks to the Father. Why? The disciples are the one that brought the loaves, but where did the disciples get the loaves from? Well, from whom come all things? See, the seven loaves that they had to start with were given to them by God in the first place. Before, so for just a little application here, I want to just say this. You may have things that you, the God, that you may look and say, well, I can't do much the way of ministry. I can't do this. I can't do this. All I have is this much money. All I have is this. I can't speak well. Or maybe, you know, my gift or my talent really isn't going to make much of an impact. Do you realize who equipped you with what you have? God designed you exactly how you are. He equipped you with exactly what he wants you to have, whether you're talking about financial resources or we're talking about just you. He designed you just how you are, and he designed you in such ways that you are not sufficient for the task he set before you. But to be in such a place that if you would just come under him and trust his sufficiency, he can and will work through you to do that which you could not do yourself. He says, here, guys, I, I, I'm, I want you to set this before the multitude. So he blesses and he gives thanks. Blesses, he breaks the bread. And I don't know, how, again, imagination here. You know, the, Jesus is up here and maybe the, the 12 are off to the side, you know, standing in, 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 in queue or <laughs> this is for Miss Diane, um, in a line. Is that how you say it here in this country? In line. And they are lined up. Maybe they got their, they got their baskets ready to go and you know i always like to say peter's first in line because he's you know first in everything he's standing there in these guys basket and he goes up to jesus jesus finishes praying you know everybody of course everybody's you know you know good disciples have had their heads bowed eyes closed and they're but in their mind they're they're kind of thinking okay tell us how it's going to work so what about i thought we heard about five loaves and two and five loaves and two fishes so that's chapter six but Actually, they kind of forgot about those, and you can read about that later in chapter in, cha- in chapter 8 as well. They had forgotten about that too. So they got no clue what's going to happen. So Jesus and Peter comes up, and Jesus begins, he breaks, and begins putting bread into the basket. I don't know how that happened, but he begins doing it. And Peter's sitting there with his basket, and, you know, of course, I mean, you know, I know, you know, James is right behind him, and John's back there. Just tell you, I'm preaching. I can line them up how I want them to line up. And he looks back like, what's going to do? This is going to, you know, sorry, guys, there's not enough for my basket. You're out of luck. And now Peter looks over and, whoa, basket's heaping full of bread. So he takes it and goes over and James, John, and down the line. Fills our baskets. They go around. 
give to the people? I don't know how long it took. You know, five minutes? Probably not. An hour? Maybe, more like it. Maybe longer, I don't know. But by the time it was all finished, the Bible says they were all filled. Now, only were they all filled, they had seven baskets left over. They had more at the end than they did at the beginning. The need was met. What did the disciples do? Man, this is great. All the stuff the disciples did, they, they fed the multitude. Well, actually, the disciples didn't do anything. Or did they? Because technically, they are the ones that gave the food to the multitude. They set it before them. But could they take credit for anything? No. Because it wasn't them that did it. All they were were the vehicles which distributed that which Jesus had provided. That's it. They were just the pizza delivery guys. They didn't make it. They didn't pay for it. They just deliver it. You know, isn't that a little bit like the work of the gospel? The, the salvation has been bought and paid for and provided by who? Jesus Christ. Who is it intended for? The whole world. Who's he given it to? We heard Friday night, didn't we? He has trusted us with the gospel. Isn't that what Jesus did right here? Where it says there in verse 6, he gave to his disciples to set before them. He didn't give it to them just to have a feast themselves. He gave it to them to do what? To set it before the multitude. They were just the vehicles. They were just the distributors. And they didn't get to pick to whom they gave the food. They set it before the multitude of who again? Those people. You think there might have been a couple people in, in that group that maybe they were a little awkward going up to? We don't know. But they did what Jesus said to do because that's what a disciple of Jesus does. See, the disciples here, Jesus is calling them aside and he's, he's wanting him, he's instilling them with this, with his perspective. So I want you to understand my perspective. I want you to understand my purpose and my will for them. I want you to understand my sufficiency and then just do what I tell you to do. And what happened? The need was met. The need was met. You see, what are we, what are we doing here? Well, we need to give consideration relation to missions, relation to ministry, relations to the Christian life is simply this. What does God want? Trusting that he is sufficient and thus his word is sufficient and then simply do what he says to do. That's it. It's not complicated. And it's reasonable to expect that from those 
who have committed to follow Jesus. It's a reasonable expectation for me. Why? Because I received bread that I didn't buy, I didn't make, but I benefit from, namely, the salvation that's in Christ. And my Savior says, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to see people. This is, this is, how, I, this is how I want you to go forward. It's only ex- reasonable that I do it. So the beginning message, I asked this question. What drives your participation in ministry? What drives what drives you? What's the fuel for your Christian life? I believe the overall theme of this of this text, this account is simply this. If we're going to go forward, we have to be centered on Jesus. That's the way he was game for the disciples. Okay. You've seen the multitude, great multitude. This and this and that. You're, you're scribing them Gentile and, and this and that in your minds. Disciples, I want your, your attention. I want your perspective of them to be centered on my will, on my purposes. I have compassion on them. I want you to be centered on my will. And then don't be fixated on your limitations. Center your, 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 your ability and the possibility for me to work on my sufficiency. And then center your actions on doing what I say to do. You know, we, here, here's the problem with, 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 with the world as a whole. The world isn't centered on Jesus. Well, that's an under, the understatement of the year. Well, it's still true. He's still God. How does a person go from being unregenerate and lost and and condemned forever to be separated from God to being adopted as a child of God with peace and everlasting life. How does that happen? Well, they have have to make the choice to center themselves on Jesus. Namely, they have to understand what is God's purpose? What does God's word say about him, about me, and about my relationship with him? They need to give attention to the gospel. They center their perspective on life through the gospel of Jesus Christ because without the gospel, there is no hope of salvation. Then they have to get to realize that it's not just that Jesus died for me and that he rose again, but that salvation is only in him, but it's also completely in him. By faith alone, it's not Jesus and my church and Jesus and my work to Jesus and whatever. No, it's him and him alone or nothing. And then they have to do what Jesus says. What does Jesus say for it? What does Jesus tell a lost sinner to do to receive salvation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If it, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know the difference between believing in and believing on? Your faith has to be, it's the choice. A person has to take, go through the steps that they realize this is what God says, this is his will, that he is sufficient, and this is what he says to do. I have to receive him by faith. That is how a person is saved. How are we supposed to live the Christian life? Well, we're saved. Now we're just going to automatically know everything what to do. 
right? It's just going to be automatic. It's going to be just going to flow out of us. Oh, I mean, you're saved. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. That means that everything's going to be right because he's in me. We have, but isn't there a certain amount or a lot amount of personal choices we have to make? Name your list. God, what is your purpose? What is your will? What does your word say that I'm supposed to do in my marriage as a young person, at work, as a Christian, as a church member? What is Not what do I feel like or what's convenient or what I think or what culture says or what that church says or what this person says. What is your will? Because I'm your disciple. I'm not the disciple of culture. That doesn't make sense. How is that going to work? How can I have a Christian family run God's way in this culture? How can we raise kids God's way in this culture? How can we make a difference in this world and live like a Christian in a culture that's so hostile to him? From whence? How's it going to work? You don't have it. Neither do I. But he's sufficient. Trust him. Trust his word. And then simply this, just do what he says. Isn't that what missions, faith, promise, missions, giving is all about? God, what do you, how do you want me to participate? Well, I don't know how that's possible, but I'm going to trust that what you tell me to do, you're going to be sufficient to provide. And I'm going to simply commit to do what you say. How about sharing the gospel? Well, Lord, I know what your burden is, that your heart is, that you say, go in the world, all the world, preach the gospel, that you want me to go to my friends, those five people this week, and talk to them about the gospel, or at least invite them to come to church. But how is that going to make an impact? Well, I'm going to, I know that's what you want me to do, so I'm going to step out. I'm going to trust that it's not my persuasive, not my words, not my wisdom, not my ability that's going to do it. I'm going to trust that you are sufficient, and I'm going to just simply go and do what you say to do. We have to be centered around our Savior. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.